Welcome to Behind the Spotlight, a different kind of podcast where we have real, deep conversations with entrepreneurs and celebrity visionaries who are making their potential possible. They are certainly ahead of their time and worthy of yours. So listen as I take your favorite entrepreneurs off a pedestal and onto a bar stool right next to you. In life, it all comes down to building powerful, long-lasting relationships in a thoughtful, authentic way. You know, we all see that highlight reel of successful entrepreneurs, but I want to take you behind the spotlight and show you who they were before they figured it all out. Let's explore the sometimes torturous, but always interesting paths their lives have taken. So I'm Beth, speaker, author, entrepreneur, and a magnetic business mentor. I help entrepreneurs to strategically prepare their business and gain exposure through collaboration and media so they can make their mark on the world. I'm a huge believer in the power of potential to catapult your life forward. So join me as we explore stories of some of our favorite people leveraging their past to make their potential possible on Behind the Spotlight. Do you ever wonder what's behind those huge fashion launches? Do you remember Tommy Jeans and the launch of Tommy Girl in 1997? I do. I had that all over my closet. And today I'm interviewing Ginny Hilfinger. Yes, Tommy's little sister, but the brainchild behind these amazing fashion moments. Plus, she's now the founder and creative director of Messi, the luxury apparel brand in collaboration with the world's number one soccer player, Messi. So listen up to learn about the creative process and what it really takes to be a Tommy girl. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for being here. I want to welcome Ginny Helfinger to the podcast. Welcome, Ginny. Oh, thank you, Beth. It's so great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to get to know you. Oh, my goodness. I really want to get to know you. I've actually been a fan of yours for a long time because I remember Ginny H when it came out. Oh, my God. You're kidding. My aunt, her name's Claire, and she had a clothing line that she would make coming out of Bali. And she's the one that actually introduced it to me you know, years and years ago, I couldn't afford it at that time, but I always loved it because I grew up in a, in a family business. I loved how you started working in your fam- in a family business and how you have lots of brothers and sisters, which I think a lot of people don't know growing up in upstate New York. Yes. Yes. Uh, my dad was a jeweler. My mom was a nurse and uh, there are nine of us. Um, Tommy was the second oldest and I'm the youngest. So each older kid had like a designated younger kid they kind of took care of, you know, and, and my mom yeah. worked full time and there's no nannies back then, you know, no yeah. one had help. And so all the brothers and sisters um, babysat for me at the people's place, Tommy's store in Elmira. When he was 18, he started. So I was babysat for at a boutique since I was like seven years old. And, um, you know, Tommy knew that we were really bored living in a small town. And so he used to take my best friend and I on these little field trips all over the place, um, upstate New York to thrift shops and vintage shopping. And, and then when he moved to the city, he was really lovely and let me come and work with him at his different showrooms before he ever started Tommy Hilfiger. So I, I was the lucky one being the youngest. I got to, um, (laughs) see the world and, you know, get out of, you know, the small time town of Elmira and see what it's like in the fashion world. And uh, my parents really wanted me to be a nurse. So I tried nursing for a year and um, it just wasn't for me. And my parents were like, okay, well, you know, you're on your own then. So I actually had to go support myself. I work full time at a department store. I live with my best friend in a small studio. Definitely didn't have anything, no money. (laughs) Um, But I did take classes at FIT on the weekend. 
I learned how to sew. Um, I taught myself how to draw. And then I finally got in and uh, worked my way through school. So then, um, you know, my parents are right. It's not definitely always the stablest job being in fashion. Um, Probably if I had been a nurse, it would be more stable. Um, No matter what, if you're a nurse, you can always get a job. (laughs) Yeah, I'm happy not as been as happy or as yeah. So I mean, do you feel like your fashion, your love of fashion came from those experiences with Tommy? Yes. Or would you think that was something that, that you always had maybe as a little girl? Were you a, like a dress up little kid? Well, definitely. We all played Barbies and loved mm. dolls. But and my sisters always loved clothing. So in our house, it was all about who, who was wearing what. And, you know, what hand-me-down could I have? All of my sisters were loving clothing. So, yeah, I I got inspired by my sisters. And, of course, then Tommy opening the store inspired me for fashion. And then taking me to the city really got me hooked because I just loved the fabric shops and the button stores and the trim stores and drawing and, you know, creating. And just, you know, it was like a dream come true to work in fashion. I remember going down to the to the garment district when I was in junior high and high school because my mom worked a little bit in it and just seeing the rows and rows, like the rows and rows of possibility. And me too, I, I'm tactile. So I loved feeling all the suede and the velveteens and all the fabrics. And I actually had my bat mitzvah dress made in the garment district. I don't know how my mom found it. Ginny, I matched the tablecloths. Like, don't get excited. Oh, wow. <laughs> like a, a taffeta dress with rhinestone trimmings. But I had, I was like, with the models and they made it, they did a pattern on me, the whole thing. Um, but I never had that. Like we weren't a, a fashion family. You know, my mom always dressed nice, but I was never you know, shown that that was a way of being until I was right. much older. So I really appreciate that. And that you took that, you know, that passion and, you know, didn't know how to sew and didn't know how to draw, but you still wanted to be at FIT. What was that application process for you then? It was very nerve wracking. I was so nervous and um, insecure because a lot of the kids that go to FIT are like prodigies. You know, they go in there like knowing how to illustrate like there's no tomorrow and knowing how to sew anything. But I stuck to it. You know, I just kept saying I can (laughs) do it. I can do it. You know, this is what I want to do. I'm going to get through this. And little by little, um, I got through it and um, was happy that I did. But it definitely like, you know, it was, it wasn't easy, but it's just kind of like, you know, I think that I'm the little train that could. Well, is that from being the youngest of so many kids? <laughs> like, where does that I come think from? So. Never giving up. You know, you could have just been carried around by all those older siblings, but it yeah. sounds like you were a spitfire. Like they had to deal with you. It wasn't really like, it was like, come on, Jenny, let's go. But you were, you were a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Definitely. I think that, you know, growing up in a family like that, it's definitely survival of the fittest. So uh, maybe that gave me, uh, you know, the gumption to keep going no matter what. And just, you know, what's the next thing? Okay, that didn't work out. Let me do it this way. This doesn't work out. Let me do it that way. And just keep going. And also just loving, you know, loving fashion, loving people, staying positive. You, you've had a lot of success in your business, in your career, but you've had those bumps and grinds. And what advice do you think you would give your, your 20 year old self right now? If you could really talk to her, what would you tell her? Well, I think nowadays, um, because everything has become so computerized, I would probably get really, really good using the computer for designing, but also I would probably get better at like computer as a whole, you know, like marketing, Mm -hmm. social media, 
but also I would probably go back to school for business. Oh, that's because I think that you need to understand business and no matter what you do. And, um, you know, not not every designer has like a business partner to help them along and, you know, tell them how to market themselves properly. So I feel like, you know, there's probably a lot of super talented people out there that aren't marketed properly for themselves. And that's um, really good advice. That's that's definitely what I would do. That's so interesting. One of the things I really love about you is that you you wanted to have your own path. You really did. And to, to look back and say, like, if I got in a business degree, it could have really helped. But I agree with you. I think there's thousands of really talented designers out there that are trying to get on Project Runway or trying to get, you know, a, an appointment with, you know, a, somebody at a big company to see their designs that just can't quite make it. I know in my business, marketing's everything, you know, and I watched my dad growing up because he owns his own businesses. And I would honestly be in the car with him on his big cell phone and really listen to how he spoke to people and how he enrolled them in what they want and what he wanted to do. And it sounds like your family does that. Tommy, it sounds like really did that too, like enrolled all of you into his dream of opening the stores, especially at being 18. Oh yeah, definitely. Tommy, Tommy definitely is the most um, motivated, you know, moving forward, innovative, open-minded business person, a natural business person, and always wants to teach others. He was self-made, but he was, he was natural. And, um, you know, and the good thing about Tommy is he's, he's always trying to teach everybody, uh, what he knows. Yes. And it sounds like your whole family does that. You know, I did read interviews with your, your sisters who are nurses, but also from what you do, you want to, it sounds like, or feels like to me, it doesn't sound like it. It feels like to me, you want to inspire the people around you. And you want to, you want to help everybody up. I love the verbiage you use in a lot of this, your um, interviews. And when you talk about the passion of fashion and being humble and being, you know, open and being really open and receptive, which I think is really interesting. And it sounds like it's really helped you throughout your business, but I know you worked for Tommy, but you didn't work directly for him because I know working for a family business cannot always, it's not always easy, but you work for him. For, you worked with him for a long time. I don't want to say four. Oh, I worked. Actually, I would say probably four, but I worked at Tommy Hilfiger from eight, uh, 1990 to 2005 for real, you know. Um, but while I was in FIT from 84 to 86, I worked there every day after school. And then he wanted me to make my own way after FIT, so I did. And then I went back in 90 and um, I started out as an assistant and worked my way up the ladder over the years. But you know, I wanted to go back to FIT to take a class in um, the knitting class that I didn't take to, you know, get my full degree. And he said, no, you can't go to FIT after school because you have to be there for Vula, the girl that you're assistant to. What if Vula needs you to work late and you have school? So I, I, you know, just was like, yeah, you're right. So he really, really made me start from the bottom and work my way up the ladder. And I think that's why when I finally did become in charge, like my first, I, I was like the first person to start Tommy Jeans. I want to stop for a second because when I read that, I was like, I had the chills just saying it because all my friends, that's what we wore. So for, this yeah. is like a come to Jesus <laughs> moment for me. Like I'm talking to the woman who it was her idea and she made it happen. Um, but before we go there, I want to go back because you had told me a little story about how you were living on the Upper East Side and you traveled two hours to get to work where, you know, I think a lot of people would be interested in your mindset where you have this 
brother who will give you a job, you know, you have to work from the bottom, but you really wanted to do something on your own and not be on his coattails and not be his little sister. You wanted to be Jenny instead. Yeah. Um, actually, um, after I graduated from FIT and I was living up in, um, Spanish Harlem by Columbia university, um, I had to commute all the way to Port Authority and then take a, a bus for over an hour to Patterson, New Jersey, to my um, second job out of FIT. So it was like two hour commute each way to do my design assistant job. So why was that job so like, why did you do that? Why was that so important for you to travel to Because you were in the city, you're leaving to Patterson, New Jersey, which is a whole different conversation. But what was that all about? Well, that was a good opportunity because it was like a company called Tweeds that was like the anthropology version of like J. Crew. And um, it was a really great opportunity. And I love the girls who wanted me to work with them, the two girls who were the first designers there. So it was a great opportunity, but it definitely like, you know, it wasn't easy. But that's kind of how my whole career, you know, has been. You know, I've always had to really go the extra mile to get ahead. Even at Tommy, I had to work really hard to move up. And I was doing sweater and assistant sweaters after I'd already been an assistant for like four years. I was like, Tommy, you know, I've been an assistant for like six years now. Is there anything else I can do? <laughs> and um, he threw me a pile of jeans and he said, start designing denim. So I became like, you know, a denim aficionado and, you know, learned everything there was to know about denim and loved it. Like I was actually just designing the denim for Tommy menswear, which was just jean jackets, jean shirts and jeans. But I actually, instead of just doing that, every time they wanted me to do a presentation, I gave them whole denim collections, including other products as well. So it was like whole like lifestyle denim story, you know, military or nautical or hunting or whatever. And um, actually, I went away to Europe to get inspired for Tommy Jeans because when actually when they're ready to launch Tommy Jeans, they asked me to do it because I had become like the denim guru. And so I was like, yeah, I'd love to start Tommy Jeans. And I went away shopping for inspiration in Europe. And I was going to all the vintage stores. And I was buying all these old Adidas track jackets and all these old track pants and jean jackets and hockey rugbies and football jerseys and soccer tops and all this athletic wear stuff that was in all these vintage stores and all the old school sneakers too. And mm -hmm. so when we, I got back to New York to the showroom with Tommy and I was rigging up the ideas. Tommy was like, Oh my God, this is, this is like the coolest thing ever. For, let's forget this kind of country um, Buffalo check with denim kind of thing in barn coats. Let's do this sports stuff. Let's just do this. I was like, okay. So we took all like the, the soccer tops and, you know, the carpenter jeans and mixed it with the track jackets and the sweatpants and put it with the jean jackets. And we were the first denim division, um, Tommy Jeans, to do denim with sports out of all the denim. Companies. You're like describing my high school um, closet because that's all I had. Oh, my, really? That's all I wore. I was an athlete. Yeah, I was an athlete. So that's all that's all the kind of stuff that I wore. And I love vintage stores. And I, you know, when I hear stories like this and I'm like, your job was to go shopping in Europe. Like, that's the most amazing thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Like, that's, yes. part, that's part of your job is to do that. And that had to be so much fun. Do you remember like why those pieces appealed to you and why are those are the pieces that you brought back? I guess that just because they were so authentic and cool 
and maybe from growing up with Tommy and working at a store in the seventies and just being in New York city from the early eighties, I just like was attracted to, you know, just cool stuff. Um, and colorful, you know, all those yes. things are very colorful. The old Adidas track jackets and football rugby's and soccer tops. I always loved the colors and the details. So yeah, it was like so fun. And that's how we started it. Our first line of sport and denim is called Sport Tech Denim. And um, that's the line that we put on Beyonce. We put it on um, Kate Hudson. We put it on Aaliyah. Mark Bronson, Kadada Jones. We did a big shoot in LA on a rooftop and it was before we did Tommy Girl. So we put all the Tommy Jean men's product on all the girls. So Aaliyah and Kate Hudson and Kadada Jones, we put the carpenter jeans on them with belts and then we cut the t-shirts yep. off and just made mm-hmm. bandeaus for the tops. And then like we threw the big outerwear on over it. And that's how like that whole trend started. And that's what like triggered Tommy Hilfiger to say, oh, we should do Tommy Girl. So then that's when we started doing junior denim, Tommy Girl. I remember all of that. But Jenny, how does that feel? You know, I know the audience listening to this is like, that's like a lean in for everybody else but you. You know, to you, you're like, "Eh, you know, that's your life. And I totally understand that. That's just how your process was. But do you remember how you were or where you were mentally and emotionally at that time? Yeah. I mean, I was definitely, um, uh, I've always been a behind the scenes person who's like more into like worrying about like, um, is this zipper the right gauge and is the stitching correct and more detail oriented and, Mm -hmm. um, wanting to make sure that everything is perfect product wise. My brother, Andy is the people person who knew all the celebrities in LA and, um, you know, came up with doing the shoot on the roof with the musicians and the celebrities, kids and stuff. So it's definitely like not all me, but I was part of the creative process. But my brother Andy and I were doing that together with Tommy Jeans from the beginning because Andy was doing the PR and marketing for Tommy Jeans. Oh, OK. And I was the, doing the designing. So, you know, between Andy and I and his creativity, my creativity, his his people's skills and all the people he knew, probably, honestly, I was a little intimidated by all the famous people. You know, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm here with these people. You know, <laughs> I was just the designer. Yeah, I, I interned with a lot of celebrities when I worked in L.A. And I remember the beginning, you know, being very intimidated and then understand and then realizing that everyone has to go to the bathroom. So we're all kind of the same people. It all kind of evens it out. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. It was good times though. Yes. Those were very fun times. And especially being able to do it with family. And, you know, what I'm thinking when you say that is that to have both of your brothers really lean on you for the design aesthetic and really be all in on what your vision is, how to feel really good and also maybe help you give you the confidence to, you know, you moved on from that and created your own stuff. Yeah. After many years, because then I moved on to women's for Tommy and then after women's, I started H Hilfiger and then I left and did the Jenny H. But yeah, it's all, it was great. Really, really good fun and challenging. But yeah, I, we had we had great days. That was the those were the good old days, you know, growing Tommy Hilfiger in, in the heyday. I can't imagine how proud your parents were of all of you and, and, and your sisters and your brothers who weren't in the fashion industry. But just to watch three of their children really be successful together. It actually makes me want to cry. Like it's just, yeah, I can, I can feel that for them. 
Yeah, my mom definitely, um, you know, would never pick one sibling over another because she was like, you know, just such a saint and such a humble, loving woman. My dad, unfortunately, passed away in 89. So he didn't get to see like all the success. I mean, he did see Tommy's success, though. And he was so proud. Oh, my God. He was so cute. He wore all Tommy Hilfiger. <laughs> and just course. so proud. And my mom loved it too. But my mom was just like, you know, she she could have retired at like 65 from being the head nurse in Elmira in geriatrics, but she stayed on till she was 75. She sounds like an amazing woman. Yeah. Because she just loved it that much. Yeah. She just cared about helping people. It sounds like it runs through your whole family, your sisters being nurses and fashion helps people, you know, makes them feel good about themselves, makes them see the world differently, makes them present themselves differently. So it sounds like it really got instilled through all of you. So you went out, to, you did Ginny H by yourself. What propelled you to be like, okay, guys, I'm going, it's my time. Was there something that, that really changed for you that you wanted to do that? Because did you have your, did, was Audrey around at that time? Yeah, Audrey was six. Um, when I started Ginny H and left Tommy, she was six. And I think I just really, really wanted to make clothing that I wanted to wear that I couldn't find when I went out shopping. Now, you know, the dresses that I did make back then, I still see on people and they still love them and talk about them and, and the separates, the turtlenecks, the leather jackets, the you know, um, different items, people are like, Oh, I wish you would make that sweater again. Or I wish that you'd make those dresses again, because the dresses were like made out of beautiful fabric and beautiful linings and stuff. But they were just the kind of dress that you throw on. And they make you look like elegant or done. You know, the proportion was so nice. And, you know, I took so much time to make the patterns perfect. It was definitely a labor of love. And, you know, I still have everything from Ginny H. <laughs> you know, it's in my storage unit. I have all the patterns <laughs> and I have all the samples. And, you know, sometimes women still call me and ask me, oh, can you make me that dress again in a different fabric? So a lot of it was because I loved how happy the people were when they wore it. Oh, that's, that's a fantastic byproduct of having a great product. And it, it, you know, from what we talked about, you're so being so connected to the details and connected to the gauge of the zipper, you know, things people, even in the fashion industry, don't always think about, you know, I think that's what a lot of people were drawn to what you were doing. I did find one dress that somebody was selling that was a Ginny H. It wasn't my size because I would have bought it, but I did find one dress out there. If you Google, yeah. I can send you the link. If you Google it up, oh, you can really? find it. Yeah, there. let me yeah. know which one and let me know your size. I, I probably can have oh, some stuff yeah. for you. <laughs> You're so sweet. I can dress your kids in messy and I can dress you in Ginny H. So you, Ginny H you had for a while. And then what was your next step after that? Okay, so um, Ginny H was really nice, but I, I wasn't making money because the fabrics were too expensive. And I was importing everything from Europe and getting them made in New York. And I didn't have enough volume to scale it, to make money. So then um, the recession hit and I had tons of inventory that stores had ordered, but they didn't take it in. So then I had to do trunk shows for like the next few years and sell off all my inventory to pay off all my factories and fabric mills and stuff, which was another learning experience. <laughs> but I did it. I paid everybody. <laughs> so what would you say were like the top two lessons that you learned from that experience? Well, I guess, you know, in starting your own business, you should probably always um, have like a business partner and probably some kind of investor 
instead of like using your own money to do it. And then, you know, always like uh, maybe to keep it small until you grow and start making money. Because all of a sudden, if you try to grow before you start making money, the debt increases. Those are good lessons. Yeah, it was good. I mean, it was hard, but everything you do in life is like for a reason, I guess. And then I went back to work designing for celebrities for TV shopping, um, HSN and QVC. So I I did the um, K-Dash line for QVC, the Kardashians, Queen Latifah, Mm -hmm. Juliana Rancic. And then pitch all these um, lines to different celebrities that came in that were thinking of doing their own collections for TV shopping. And I was there for like almost two years. And then I met the owner of Fila, the Korean man who owns Fila, Jean Yoon. Mm -hmm. And he really liked my background and was interested in me helping him with Fila. So he hired me to uh, recreate the brand DNA or bring, bring back the brand DNA globally. Mm -hmm. So I started by doing a fashion show for all of the countries that have field licensees. And I had Mm -hmm. to travel to the different licensees around the world for FILA to get to know like what they sell in their countries or their cities and kind of see like what's the best common denominator. Really great. And I'm still really close with the FILA family. I still consider Fila my family. And then I did the fashion sh- a couple of fashion shows for them for all the countries. And then um, one of the guys who runs Fila China wanted me to come over to China and do my own line for Fila China called uh, Modern Heritage by Ginny H. So I did that from 2014 until like last year or the year before. So that was a great experience. Especially getting back to your own designs. But I wonder, you know, I know it was a little while ago now, but what were the differences from the different countries? Because you're now you're designing for different peoples and different cultures. Was there something that stands out that you can tell us a story about? Actually, I think I went back and helped Tommy with the Gigi Hadid collection, the first one. I think what I learned from that and from Fila and Tommy is I think that people globally, if it's a nice product, they all like it. So basically, I think people all like the same thing, but different companies have different business models. So like, for example, Mm -hmm. you know, Fila in South America was like a bigger sneaker business and it was a bigger kind of activewear business and they weren't selling as much casual streetwear. They were more into sneaker and active. But now I think everybody's selling the ready to wear or the, you know, um, casual streetwear. Yeah, the difference between from 10 years ago, I, you know, the internet and social media, I think, has made a global brand be global everywhere because it's everyone sees it and there's not that much of a differentiation anymore. Isn't that amazing? It's crazy. It really is. So when you say that you went back and designed or like, I'm interested in what that actually means. Like in my head, that means you're at a computer or you're sketching or you're doing something like, what does that really mean when you went to China and designed for them? Or you went back to Tommy and helped with the Gigi Hadid collection. Most people listening are, are going to be entrepreneurs and probably not in the fashion industry. So I, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about more that what that process actually means. All right. Well, as for example, for the Gigi collection, they asked me if I would want to design the Gigi collection for Tommy Hilfiger Women's. And I was like, yeah, I would love to. So I went to Amsterdam and um, learned what they wanted like the theme to be. You know, and it was a season when they were going to be doing a lot of like nautical type of clothing. So I came back to my house in New Jersey and I sat and sketched a a whole collection. And, you know, 
Amazing. And then I sent the, I showed the pictures to the head of marketing um, and Tommy and, you know, we went through the sketches and picked out which ones we should start doing tech packs on and making samples on. And then we showed uh, all the sketches to Gigi, my good friend Vula, who was um, my boss at Tommy. She was in charge of sweaters and she's a wonderful illustrator. So um, I asked Vula, hey, would you would do these illustrations for me for the Gigi line? So I sent Bula all my rough sketches, all my flats and like, you know, messy sketches. And she illustrated them. And then we said we had a big meeting wow. with Gigi showing her all the looks. And then Gigi came in, was like, oh, I love that. And can you add make those pants higher? And can you add this? And can you do this? And she had tons of good ideas and was really creative and so cute. And so I went back and executed all her ideas and she wanted tons of patches too. So then we put tons of patches in and then the different accessory department at Tommy was really into it and, you know, added all of these accessories in for her and she loved it. So it was a really fun project. And then like far as doing the Ginny H Modern Heritage line for Feel It China, it was the same thing. You know, he was like, okay, it's for spring 2015 for men's and women's. And, you know, this is how many SKUs I'm going to want. And, you know, I want you to use your DNA from Fila and do a collection. And, you know, this many dresses, this many jackets, this many pants. This many. So I just went back and sketched the whole right. thing. And yeah, and then we made it and then we fit it and had a fashion show. and. It's sold out. I love how it's like, you know, it's your life. So of course it's not that, it's not as amazing it is to me, but I can just imagine you in a sunny room in your house in New Jersey with your sketching and sending it off to your friend and her illustrating it. Like, I, I just want, I want to acknowledge your talents. Oh, thank you. And how amazing that is. To someone that can't even draw a stick figure, you know, it reminds me of a story. I had a dress made for my senior prom. And the designer, you know, she sat with me and she sketched it all out and everything. And then at our first meeting, I brought a sketch to her that I had created. It was awful. And she looked at it and she was like, oh, okay. And that was the end of it. But to be able to create something with pen and pen, pen and paper or pencil and paper that now is on millions of people around the world, I just think is really amazing. And I want, I just wanted to acknowledge you for your talent. Oh, thank you. Millions and millions of people don't have that talent. And like we talked earlier, a million, you know, there's probably, I hope a thousand people listening right now that have some talent in them that they now maybe are inspired more from your story um, and understanding that just because you have somebody in your family that might do well in the industry doesn't mean that's all about you. And I really commend you also for bearing your own path which is really amazing. Oh, thank you. I think that no matter what you do in life, you have to believe that it's true and it's going to happen. No matter what you're doing, whether you're creating recipes or whether you're deciding you want to be like a, you know, a nutritionist for, you know, people and a, a consultant in nutrition or, you know, any idea you have, you have to actually act like it's going to happen and it's real. Because if you take yourself seriously and say to yourself, this is real and this is going to happen, it's going to happen. Do you do that intentionally or is that something that just is naturally for you? That when, you when you're working on a new project, and you have, we'll talk about the messy store in a second. But like when you were starting that, was that something you're like, this is going to work, this is going to happen. And this is like, how does that process in your head work? Well, all the projects that I get like from my different design projects over the years, 
you know, there's always that initial phase of, is this going to happen? Am I going to be able to do this? Can I do it? I don't know. You know, you, you have to muster up that confidence again, because sometimes when you start a project, you feel super insecure. But then you, what I try to do is I say, okay, well, I did this before. I did this before. I did this before. And I did this before. If I did that, I can do this. You have the proof. It's just remembering all that and connecting all your dots backwards. I love that. That's yeah. really good advice. And then Thank you so starting much like starting one step at a time. So you can combat the overwhelm. Are you a planner? Like, do you know exactly what you're doing as you go along? Yes. The first thing <laughs> I have to do is envision like the whole thing. And then I do like rough sketches, messy roughs of like everything to decide like, you know, what ones I really want to focus my attention on. Right. And do you like for me when I'm doing something or I'm creating a new product or even when I get a call from a producer, I have I get like a feeling that I know this is going to happen. Do you have that like download from the universe? Like, do you have that kind of working for you? Definitely. Definitely. Yes. That's awesome. I can I, I really I could see you in your in your office working on that stuff. So I know that you just launched the messy brand. Were you a soccer fan? Like, how did that happen for yourself? My boyfriend for 10 years now is from Argentina and he's a big soccer fan. He grew up in the town of people that are really good friends with Leo Messi. And actually, my boyfriend's mom is from the same region is Leo Messi and his family. So while I was working, Max said, well, if, if you're going to do another line for a celebrity, we should do a line for a celebrity, you know, like soccer, like a big, a, a guy who's got tons of fans, you know, huge. And so we thought, oh, wow, this could be really fun taking Leo Messi and doing a lifestyle, casual, fun streetwear line for such a huge soccer player. And also it's like such a relevant product nowadays, you know, a few years back when we decided to start this and approach the messies, you know, it was like just when like all of a sudden everyone was starting to want to wear hoodies and sweatshirts again and, you know, combining it back to lifestyle. So the timing turned out to be perfect. And um, yeah, so I mean, I did like about 50 theme boards to show the messies of what the Leo Messi That's brand a, it's could be. Amazing. It was fun. <laughs> It sounds like a lot of your a lot of your life has been timing. Um, so it, I can imagine that it was a little intimidating because um, maybe you don't know so much about soccer. Your boyfriend does, and you're creating this line for somebody new. And I love the fact that you're pitching him. You know, I think a lot of people probably assume that people come to you, and it's nice to know that it's both ways. You both definitely get both of them, but. 50 style boards. That sounds like a lot of options. Yeah, it was it was showing him like the whole lifestyle from socks to hats to underwear to swimwear to denim to T-shirts to sweatshirts to outerwear, you know, from adults to kids to home, you know, like, oh, this is what it could be. And there his dad and his uh, his dad's attorney were like, wow, this is amazing. Wow. And so now we're doing they weren't it. expecting the whole the yeah. whole thing. They were expecting probably a line, not a whole a whole business. You know, in their marketing, it says that you specialize in creating innovative and premium quality lifestyle clothing with high precision detail in every stitch, which sounds like that's you within the design of the company because you are so detail oriented. And this, you know, we strive for excellence, precision and humility in everything we do. And I think that from our conversation today, that really also embodies who you are. So oh, thank you. It's amazing. Thank you. Well, it's Leo too. Leo's um, very, very humble. He's very kind. He's very generous. He's he built a cancer hospital 
for pediatrics in Barcelona. And, you know, on the field, he is very detail oriented and very precise. So we figured that, you know, it works because it's the same, you know, precision, detail, timing, humility. And then on our side, it's the same. That's amazing. And it, it launched recently. And it sounds like people are already, you know, people are so in on him already. Yes. That I can't imagine they're not in on the clothing and the whole and to feel like they were part of his lifestyle as well. And that's something that sounds like you've created your whole life is a lifestyle and not just clothing or not just a line. It's really a whole feeling. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it definitely um, that, you know, we're getting a lot of traction. Um, we just had our anniversary, our full year anniversary, and um, we're getting people from all over the world. It's really exciting to see we have people coming from Indonesia, Japan, Australia, Denmark, Germany, Canada, you know, United States surprisingly is our biggest customer so far. A lot of people. It's co- soccer's that. coming. It's trying. Yes, exactly. So it's so exciting to see, you know, how global it's becoming. Well, that's a, a big part of your designs, I'm sure. So that's, that's really amazing. And this, so this is what you're doing right now. Is there something that you're looking forward to doing next? I know you'll be working on it with him for a while, but what's on your horizon? Well, actually, um, on our horizon is um, expanding all the product categories into, you know, denim and swimwear and hopefully shoes, hats, socks, bags, accessories. So just like expanding the, the lifestyle um, and then also into different territories. And then women's eventually. So yeah, we have so much work to do here. And it's keeping me very busy. <laughs> I'm sure very, very busy. And you know, and the website, themessystore.com, and everything will be in the notes so all of our audience can go there and buy some of their products to feel part of the messy lifestyle. I know that my kids were finally impressed. I was speaking to you. You know, it's so amazing what teenagers are impressed by, and they are big Leo Messi fans. So it was really exciting for them to finally be proud of their mom. That is so cute. I get to talk to you. We're gonna have to hand deliver the garments to you guys since you only live a town away. We we do live a town away. But I also want to acknowledge your daughter Audrey's new candle line, and you know how inspired oh, she must have you. been from you. No, but, you know, watching you and your whole family, so her aunts and uncles, um, and watching what everyone's everyone's created out of their passions, she's created these really beautiful and sweet candles. Can you tell us a little bit about her line, too, so people can get them as well? Oh, thank you. I would love to. Um, Yes, my daughter, Audrey, started a candle line called Wonderland Home. And she actually, um, she was modeling in New York City. And the model agencies all were like, oh, you you know, what's your other hobbies? You know, are you influencer? Are you DJ? Are you this? Are you that? And and so Audrey started doing flowers. And she has a flower company called Penelope and Rose also where she does flower deliver. Like she makes flower arrangements for people and parties and things. And then from her flowers, she said she really wants to do candles. So she met up with a company who helps to get certain influencers started with products. And little by little, she, you know, she's sold out of every candle so far and she's doing all of it herself. And, you know, now she got an order from Urban Outfitters and it's delivering this week. So she's so excited about that. You know, she's like a little Martha Stewart. She just loves (laughs) making things 
pretty and environmentally friendly and just, you know, she's one of those young generation that wants to make the world a better place and trying to do it through her candles to start and her flowers. That's amazing. And it, it, it says a lot about how, how you parented her because you too making the world a more beautiful place with your fashion designs. Oh, thank you. And it was so nice to have you today. I'm it was so nice to get to know you. Yes, you're two towns away. I can't actually, I can't wait to actually have coffee. We can hang out. I know. As we end, I ask my guests two questions. One is if you were not in the design world and not a nurse, because you have mentioned that, is there something else that you think you might have been doing? I would say um, I would want to like be a dog border walker. I, I don't know if I could pass medical school to be a veterinarian, but something around animals, <laughs> you know, to help animals. And then the other thing, maybe to have a flower shop. That makes sense. That all kind of connects. And uh, yeah. I'm with you. I have two, I have two pit bulls that are running around somewhere up there. Oh, um, but I'm a dog cute. lover too. Me too. I love dogs. I love cats too. I just love animals and nature. I'm with you. And the last question is, we didn't discuss it, but I wrote a cocktail cookbook. That's all about drinking healthy cocktails, meaning you're all your favorite cocktails just with healthier ingredients. And I was wondering what your favorite cocktail was. Oh, I'm not much of a cocktail drinker, but I would probably say something with like strawberry or cranberry juice. I... I, we do a strawberry mint mojito, which doesn't have the sugar that a normal mojito does. So we change it up a little bit. So one day I will make you one. That sounds perfect. Jenny, I cannot thank you enough. It was so nice to get to know you and to be with you for this, this time and this hour. I am honored to not only get a chance to have you on the podcast, but also to you know, have a new friend in my life. So thank you very much for coming on. Oh, you too, Beth. I feel the same exact way. Now, hope to see you soon. Thanks for joining me this week on Behind the Spotlight. Make sure to subscribe so you'll never miss a show. And while you're at it, if you found value in this show, I'd love a rating on iTunes or simply tell a friend about it and that would help me out too. If you like the show and you want to check out more, look me up at bethnidick.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the next episode of Behind the Spotlight.